like to read from Rays of the One Light, uh, uh, commentaries on the Bible and on the Bhagavad Gita written by Swami Kriyananda. And the topic uh, for this week is, To Each According to His Faith. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. In the Gospel of St. John, chapter 3, we read, Everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. It is a common experience shared by most people that when a person errs, he experiences a desire to hide that error from his conscious, conscience instead of uh, holding it up for purification. Error clutches its misdeeds to itself and resists correction, though it is only in the state of purity that we can achieve perfect freedom. It requires an act of will to offer that awareness up to the light and to hold it there until one's inner darkness is completely dissipated. For every state of consciousness has its own attractive power, and the more we allow that attraction to act upon us, the more we attract to ourselves the objective circumstances and experiences natural to it. Our faith in the attractive power of our underlying state of... uh, Our faith is the attractive power of our underlying state of consciousness. Goodness attracts goodness. It takes goodness even to see goodness. Evil attracts evil. And it takes evil even to see evil. That is, to take special note of its existence. Whatever there is in you of darkness or light, offer it up to the heights. It is the supreme light alone. Uh, In the supreme light alone will we find salvation. Accept nothing less in yourself as your lasting reality. As the Bhagavad Gita says in the 12th chapter, Cling thou to me, clasp me with heart and mind, so shalt thou dwell surely with me on high. But if thy thought droops from such height, if thou beest weak to set body and soul upon me constantly, despair not, give me lower service, seek to reach me, worshiping with steadfast will, And if thou canst not worship steadfastly, work for me, toil in works pleasing to me. For he that laboreth right for love of me shall finally attain. But if in this thy faint heart fails, bring me thy failure. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Om. Wonderful to see you all here today. I'd like to begin with a reading from Whispers from Eternity, book of (laughs) prayers and poems by Paramahansa Yogananda. Satisfy my soul hunger. O all-pervading spirit, the breeze of thy inspiration has removed every cloud from my heart. The firmament of my mind is now clear. Purified, I behold only thee 
everywhere. The sunshine of thy joy spreads rapidly to the farthest shores of my being. After long ages of hunger, I feed on thy light. By thy grace and by my constant wakefulness in thee, may this joy be mine forever, forever, and forever. Well, we um, read every week from Rays of the One Light, and so it means that we've gone through these passages many, many times, and we've had the opportunity to hear excerpts from the Bible and the Bhagavad Gita year-round and to reflect on them on deeper and deeper levels. And it was occurring to me as I, we came to this reading that there are some of the readings that are just really reassuring. Oh, we read about the prodigal son sometime in the fall of every year, and, um, and there's always this feeling of it doesn't really matter how badly I blow it. God will <laughs> always forgive me, and I am loved. And then a couple of weeks after the prodigal son, we have the foolish virgins. And the foolish virgins are the ones who did not keep the lamp of their oil, of their devotion, burning. And so when the bridegroom came, they were not not able to go into the wedding ceremony, the bridegroom being the Christ consciousness. And so we have the reassuring, but then we also have what you would call like the galvanizing. Okay, okay, I need to rouse my energy. I need to you know, make sure that my devotion is strong. And, and, and I was, it was occurring to me that I would think that any true religion would have to have both. You know, that this part that says God loves you no matter what you do, and a part that says, but we want you to reach as high as you can to, to tune into God. And there are some religions in this world that focus only on the galvanizing. You know, you're a sinner, and you better get it together. And I saw a very... Uh, sweet joke about this recently. There was a, a pastor and a deacon, and they had a hand-painted sign, and they were putting it up next to the road. And the sign said, the end is near, exclamation point. Turn yourself around now before it's too late. So they're putting up the sign. They're right there on the side of the road, and this car zooms past, and he shakes his fist at them, and he says, leave us alone, you religious fanatics. The pastor looks at the deacon, and then they hear a screech of brakes and then a splash. (laughs) And the the pastor says, do you think our sign should have just said bridge out? (laughs) So the rousing part... But then also to needs the reassurance that God loves us always. So we come to the reading for this week. One of our favorite, probably everybody's favorite passages from the Bhagavad Gita where it says, you know, do this, but if you can't do this, do that. And if you can't do that, do that. And if you can't do any of it, it really doesn't matter. Just bring me your failure. And that seems like, okay, that's pure reassurance. But you know... But you know, I think it is also galvanizing because how often do we really do what it says? How often do we give God our failure? We give it to him, but we 
hold on to it. I was, I was thinking of the image of giving somebody a box of chocolates, and half of the chocolates have already been eaten. <laughs> the little, little papers are there. But you've kept, you've kept just a little bit of that failure just so you can remember it, you can reflect on it, you can rue those mistakes that you made, and you're not, we're not doing it. And God is saying, give it to me. You know, you really have to give it to me. Um, Swami has said that when he came onto the spiritual path, his biggest obstacle was self-doubt, and that he tends to attract people with the same qualities. And I was thinking that there are pluses and minuses to this, because you don't find many people at Ananda. We, you find a lot of self-doubt, but you don't find a lot of spiritual pride. And spiritual pride is the biggest obstacle you can come to on the spiritual path. And I was, I was just reflecting on this and realizing why it is such a huge obstacle. It's because the spiritual path is to help you get over ego. And if your spiritual path is building your ego... What have you got? You've got nothing. So it's a very, very important quality not to develop spiritual pride. And we're very blessed um, with Swami's magnetism towards self-doubt and also with all of the things that Yogananda tells us to do so that we can always feel that we're just a little bit short of (laughs) fulfilling everything that he wants us to do. So we always have this sense of reaching. But... The obstacle, the downside of self-doubt is the word self, okay? Because it keeps us thinking about me, and we're trying to say, I want to go to the light. I, I need to absorb myself in the light. I need to forget about the little self. I need to leave the shadows behind and just fully walk into the light. On um, just last Thursday night, Jaya and I gave an online class on Kriya and devotion. And at the end of the class, there were questions from the audience. And one woman at the very end asked a question. And she basically said, Jaya had talked about being enthusiastic in your meditation. And she was saying, I can't be enthusiastic in my meditation because my body bothers me. I can't control my mind. How am I going to get enthusiastic when... Meditation is such a big obstacle for me. So Jaya and I were sort of struggling to say something useful, and I think probably everybody in the room had like, they all wanted to jump in with all of their own struggles and their thoughts. And, but naturally, when it was over and I came home, I had a lot of different things to say to her. And so <laughs> I would say them to you. <laughs> I don't know if... I don't want to say her name. I don't know if she's here or not, but maybe somehow or other uh, I'll get a chance to say this to her. But I think when we have this feeling of, you know, my meditation is really not very good, the first thing that we have is basically that this is um, abnormal and that this is probably unique to me and, you know, I'm just the only one who has that and everybody else around me is just sailing with all these amazing techniques that we have. And I think what we have to realize is that it's not only that everyone in this room has experienced what that woman had experienced, dry periods, periods of restlessness, 
but also that that's actually a very valid part of the spiritual path. That it's not that you're supposed to necessarily get on the spiritual path and just sail toward God on waves of love and bliss. Um, the, The Indian scriptures tell us, basically, that God created us to love him. And that we have been around perhaps five to eight million lifetimes as human beings. And in those five to eight million lifetimes, um, there have not been a whole lot of lifetimes that have been involved in loving God, okay? But a lot, a lot, a lot of lives that have been, I don't really need God. I need this promotion. I need this uh, new uh, relationship. I need these new clothes. I can get this together. I can get this together on my own. If I just can get all the pieces right, I'm fine. I just don't, I don't have to worry about God because there's so many other things that I have to worry about, really. So, <laughs> so now we come onto the spiritual path and we're real excited. Okay, God, here I am. You know, I'm here. Trumpets. <laughs> Where's the uh, enthusiasm here? Where are you? I'm, I'm finally ready for you. And we expect, uh, you know, some quick answers here. And Yogananda says, no, God is waiting. Are you, are you going to stick with it? Are you going to change your mind and decide, this was a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. I think I'm going to go back and try and get that promotion and the <laughs> different relationships. And are you going to stick it out? And so a lot of that period of the grim meditations, the sitting, and, and it, not much is happening, it's, it's to test your resolution. Are you, are you going to hang in there? Do you love God? Will you, will you offer him whatever you can, however poor it is? So it's part of the journey that we have to, we have to do. And part of it, I think, is because of all those lives of seeking through the senses, our inner sensitivity is not that developed. That part of ourselves that's able to receive blessings of love and blessings of joy and upliftment, it's not, we're not that sensitive. We've been running around after all the bright, glittery things, and now we need to develop that part of ourselves that can receive God's love. So it's like we're, we're doing the work. We're shoveling our way through our old materialistic karma, and it's all part of the the game. It's not a mistake that only happens to a few. It's just part of what has to happen. So not to look at it as uh, an uh, unusual or or a weird part of the path. So that's one thing. But another thing that occurred to me, and it's something that we do, we see it here, and I don't know if it's because we have so many exalted meditation techniques that we think... Um, it's really our failure to use them correctly that's the problem. But the Catholics have a different way of looking at these dry periods. And I was reading um, St. Teresa of Lisieux, and she writes in a very charming way about the fact that she fell asleep a lot. She's the second patron saint of, of France. I mean, she's had many miracles happen through her. But she used to fall asleep in meditation a lot, and she had many dry periods, including the period right before she left her body. And she had a very different way of looking at it. She said, you know, 
I just think of the baby Jesus, and I'm his plaything. I'm his toy. And sometimes, and sometimes he plays with me, and I feel uplifted, and I feel filled with inspiration and joy. And sometimes he gets tired of playing with me, and he throws me in the corner, and he goes off and does something else. <laughs> and it doesn't matter. I mean, I'll just wait here. It's, you know, she didn't take it on herself. It wasn't her lack of devotion. It wasn't her lack of ability to meditate. It was just Jesus's will. It was his right to just decide who he wanted to play with and when. And she would just happily wait till he came back. No problem. Just removes this sense of. So that's another point that I wanted to make to this woman. And, and, and still another point <laughs> is that, above all, what we don't want to do, and this was talked about in the reading, is define ourselves by our lack, define ourselves by our flaws. And why don't we want to do that? Not only because it keeps us from moving forward spiritually, as Bharat read The positive attracts to us positive inspiration. The negative draws the negative to us. But it's not, that's not even the worst of it. The worst of it is that how we define ourselves determines our next incarnation. So, if in this life you've had this big obstacle of uh, poor concentration and you begin to call yourself someone who is a very poor meditator, poor concentrator, well, guess what's going to happen in your next life? This is not God punishing us. This is our defining ourselves that way, and so we fulfill our prophecy as we reincarnate, which is the last thing we want to do. So as this reading is saying to us, we really want to apply ourselves to this idea of giving God our failures, giving God, I mean, seriously, handing it over, not taking it back, just saying this is, I am, I am a soul. I am a perfect child of God. Swami has an affirmation in one of the, in the book on the chakras, I believe it is, where the, the affirmation for this chakra is, I am a great yogi. <laughs> Isn't that a good affirmation? I am a great yogi. That's the affirmation we want to have. We are meditators. It's all there. It's just uncovering it. So trying to look at it in this way. Um, Brother Lawrence, I was just kind of reading a little bit of Brother Lawrence and reading a little bit about Brother Lawrence yesterday. He had another, just sort of similar to St. Teresa of Lisieux, very interesting approach. Um, He was a simple person. He, this is what he, how he describes himself. He, he uh, was uneducated. He was kind of clumsy. He worked in the kitchen. Um, but he determined to live his life as if there were only two in this world, him and God. Every single thing about his life was between him and God. He said if he was making a pancake on the oven, on the stove, that was just as sacred as meditating. Every single thing he did, we know that famous quotation, picking up a straw from the kitchen was just as sacred as being in the chapel. Doesn't matter. So trying to focus ourselves so that we 
are just in this world with God. It doesn't mean that none of us are here. Rather, it's all God. Every single person is our way of offering our love to God. So um, this was his journey. And even though he would describe himself as uneducated and simple, he was extremely wise. And the book, uh, Practicing the Presence of God, is his counsel to many people who asked him how to live in the world in a spiritual way. But he said something so beautiful. He said, this is how I am. This is how I am, and this is how I will be until you change me, speaking to God. Now, he wasn't saying, this is how I am, I'm filled with faults, and I'm just going to sit here in front of the television until God decides he's going to tap me on the shoulder and change me. He was giving his whole life to God. He was serving God. He was praying to God. He was giving it everything he had, and at the same time, he wasn't thinking about himself at all. That wasn't the problem. So he had faults. What difference did it make? He, God created him. God, This is how God wanted him to be. It's fine. When God would change him, that would be fine. And he just was completely at peace with that because there was no thought of self, only of loving God, only of serving God. Swami was talking about... Uh, Krishna sent me this uh, quotation. Swami talking about uh, something that Master said... Um, he said, and I think you, we know this quotation, and again, it may be one of those quotations that makes you think, oh, I know I'm not doing this path very well. Master said, give me, give me a few boys of the worst kind, and if they will practice Kriya Yoga in the way that I tell them, in five years I will make saints of them. And of course, those of us who've been meditating way more than five years <laughs> cannot help but think, oh my God. But what Swami says in this, in this talk is very important. And of course, I think we've all figured this out. The key words are in the way that I tell them, which is not that easy to do. It takes a lot of attunement to get our Kriyas that clear and that focused and that um, very much aligned with what the Master is saying. But what Swami said, the main message of that quotation was not about, you know, you got five years and, you know, that's, you'll get it done in five years. The main message of that quotation was, it doesn't matter how bad you are. It doesn't matter what you're doing. What matters is what your intention is. Are you trying to point yourself in the direction of Kriya Yoga? Are you trying to point yourself in the direction of the discipleship, guru relationship of the light? If that's what you're trying to do, that's the only thing that matters. Um, Looking toward our intention, looking toward where we're trying to go. I... um, wanted to share a story that is, I think, well-known to some of you, but not to all of you. And it's, it's so beautiful that even though I know this story, and I still find inspiration in it. And it's the story of a man who lived alone on a hillside. And he woke up in the middle of the night, and he had a vision of God. And God said to him, there is a very large rock 
outside of your door. And I want you, in service to me, out of love for me, I want you to push that rock. Will you do that for me? And the man said, yes, I will do that for you. And he woke up in the morning very, very uplifted by this dream. And he went outside, and there was the rock, of course. It had been there for quite a long time. And he just put all of his energy into pushing that rock. Pushed it from the front, leaned against it. He pushed all, he pushed it every which way, and he put all his will into it. And he was doing it because he loved God, and it was what God asked him to do, and he pushed it all day long. Came rest at night, started up in the morning, once again, all day long, pushing that rock, remembering the inspiration of that dream, remembering what God had asked him, and very, very happy to push the rock. Well, he did this for years. And something happened at a certain point, and he began to get tired, a little tired, and a little discouragement began to creep into him. And he said, you know, I have been pushing that rock as hard as I can for years, and it has not budged one inch. Why am I doing this? But luckily, he was a disciple. He was a, a great lover of God. And he came to God, and he prayed, and he said, Lord, I've done the best I can. I'm totally discouraged. I've been pushing this rock, and not, it has not moved an iota. And I, I give you my failure, basically, just like the Gita said. I, I failed you, and, and I don't know what to do. And God appeared to him. And he said, my child, he said, I didn't tell you to move the rock. I told you to push the rock. Look at what has happened to you in the years that you've been pushing the rock. Your body is strong. Your arms and chest are strong. Your legs are strong. Your will is strong. Your mind is strong. Your heart is strong. I'll move the rock. Okay. So we just, we can't control how well we do in meditation. I mean, we can give it our best, and we can try, and we can be creative, and we can throw in some chanting when we need to rouse the energy, and we can throw in some breathing exercises, and we could read inspiring books, and we can try harder to, to really understand the techniques and to practice them, and we can do all those things, and we should do all those things to keep our meditation practice alive, but we can't determine how well we're going to do. All we can do is keep pushing in the best that we can and let the rest of it be in God's hands. So let's just take some time now. We're going to just meditate for a few moments and just reflect. We had our purification ceremony earlier. If there was anything that you gave away that you're still holding on to, just let's just feel like, you know, I'm ready to let it go. God, I am I am just the way you made me. Everything that I am, my strengths, my weaknesses, my unending mistakes, they're all coming from you. My internal battles are given to me by you to help me grow. 
My external battles are given to me by you to help me grow. And let's just offer ourselves into those wise and loving hands. <clears throat>